spend a few minutes um, looking at uh, God's Word together. And uh, we've got a, a series of short readings, really. So uh, actually, if you've got your Bibles, uh, you want to follow them. Um, we're reading from Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Revelation 9, and Revelation 12. If you find that's going to be a bit too much to jiggle around, just uh, um, follow the readings on the screen. I think I'll do the same. I think I'll read it from the screen <laughs> as well. <clears throat> so this is from Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you were brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And then from Ezekiel 28. Verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite and emerald, topaz, onyx and jasper, lapis, yazuli, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. And you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till wickedness was found in you. And through your widespread trade, you, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, and I made a spectacle of you before kings. And then from Revelation 9. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. And the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth. And they were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. But they were not allowed to kill them, but only torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During these days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like the crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. And their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stings like scorpions. And in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had the king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon. That is, destroyer. And then from, finally, from chapter 12... And then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. 
The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Is that all I wanted? I think that's enough, isn't it? <laughs> Alan asked me when I gave him the readings for, night, for tonight, did... Uh, was I thinking about these passages while I was in hospital and the pain was just so much that I was, you know, delirious and thought this would be a great passage to preach on when I get back. But no, actually, there's a different reason um, for looking at this, um, which may seem uh, strange passages to choose, but on our most recent After Alpha course, it's just finished this last week, And uh, those are those who have made commitments on the previous Alpha course and wanted to take that further. And we do another five weeks with folk and studying the Bible together and praying together from the word go, praying out loud together and learning to minister to one another in prayer and listening to God for one another. And uh, it's been great. But on the first night, I just asked them to reflect on their journeys a bit and and how that they'd um, experienced the Alpha course. And it was fascinating that this, on this particular After Alpha course, um, there were lots of people who actually said that one talk on the Alpha course had made a particular impact in their lives. And I was thinking, oh, that, maybe that was the Holy Spirit one. Maybe that was, you know, the Who is Jesus, the very first one. But they said, no, it was the talk you did on evil. And some of them said, well, I got really scared by that, but I suddenly had a revelation that actually there was someone who didn't want me to know Jesus and didn't want me to walk with him closely in my life. I'd never known that before. On that talk, um, on the Alpha Course, we do talk about who who Satan is, the devil, and uh, what does he do. We talk about spiritual warfare, that every believer experiences that. We all have encounters with spiritual warfare day by day by day, whether we are aware of it sometimes or not. We talk about the reality of, of what the devil is doing in the world. And sometimes I get the asked the question, many times asked the question, well, why did God create the devil in the first place then? That was a bad mistake, wasn't it? And we talk about that a little bit. We talk about the occult, which seems certainly in my experience to be on the increase and on the increase. Certainly in the last 25 years of my ministry, I've seen more and more people who uh, had dealings with the occult to various degrees. And nearly everyone I meet who doesn't have a trust in Jesus has some kind of faith based on superstition. The amount of people who have various superstitions. And we talk about um, the devil's tactics in terms of he is uh, uh, against the church and uh, seeks to uh, be behind all the persecution that we hear about of the church. He's behind the divisions that we uh, have within the church. 
He is into diverting people and uh, deceiving people. But I don't know about you, but I've always found it interesting that the Bible never really speaks plainly about the origins of the devil, of Satan. Satan's the Hebrew word, devil's the Greek word uh, for the same spiritual being. But we know about him, and, and certainly the New Testament gives us more insight into his ways and his works. But somewhere between Genesis chapter 1 of creation, that wonderful story of, of God's creation, and chapter 3 with the fall of mankind, somewhere in between there is the fall of Satan. And we get glimpses of that through the scriptures, and some of them I've read uh, for us tonight, how Satan was thrown out of heaven. But there in chapter 3 at the fall of mankind, he is there already. The author of temptation, the father of lies. He lies and he tempts Adam and Eve to turn away from God, to disobey God, to become rebellious. And throughout the Old Testament, he's there, but he's not sort of a high focus, but he's there as an accuser. I guess the authors of the scriptures are. And as we talk about the Alpha Course, we only do that one talk dealing with evil. We'd rather focus on who Jesus is and what he's done and the glorious God who loves us and has sent his son to save us. But it's so important that we know who he is and what he's about. We're told in the New Testament that Jesus came to destroy all the works of the evil one. So the passages that I read for us tonight just gives us a few clues and glimpses about the origins of Satan. And although he's not named as that in, in the uh, verses we read from Revelation uh, chapter 9, not directly, he is in those verses in chapter 12. But in chapter 9, there are good reasons to assume that that star that fell to earth is describing Satan himself. Firstly, in that passage in, in Revelation 9, we're told that he rules over the abyss. And the word abyss simply means bottomless in Greek. You might be familiar with the word from, um, if you come on our morning services, we've been going through Mark's gospel. And one of the passages that we dealt with recently was how Jesus set the demon-possessed man free in the region of the Gadarenes on the far side of Galilee, in the Gentile region. And how the townsfolk rejected Jesus and asked him to, to go away. But before that, as, as this man falls before Jesus, cries out to Jesus... And the demons within him cry out. And they beg Jesus not to send them where? Into the abyss. Into that place that has been assigned to them by Jesus. And whenever we come into contact with demons, whenever we have that encounter, if we ever do, you have that authority in the name of Jesus to actually command them to go to that place that Jesus has assigned for them. But it's fascinating in that passage in Mark's gospel that the demons beg Jesus not to be sent into the abyss, but to be sent into the pigs nearby. And Jesus gives them permission. Isn't that weird? And he gives them permission and the demons go into the pigs. And if you read the story, the pigs go crazy and they, they hurtle off the cliff 
and into the lake, and they're drowned, and, and they die. And the man who was possessed by these legion of demons, legion of demons, maybe thousands, we don't know, is restored in his right mind. And one important fact he knows is that he knows the demons are not coming back. It's one of the things that I think why Jesus allowed them to go into the pigs so that the pigs would run off the cliff and just die so the man would not have that fear that they would come back. They are gone, and he saw them go. He's also called here in, in uh, Revelation 9, Obadon, which is quite a good English translation, isn't it? It gives you a clue of what he is. He's a badon. He's not a goodon. He's a badon. And that's the Hebrew word. The Greek word is Apollyon, meaning king of demons, king of the abyss. And the words of Abaddon and Apollyon, those Greek and Hebrew words, are, are words for destruction, destroyer. And that's who Satan is. He, he is a destroyer. He seeks to destroy. He doesn't bring life, he brings death. And he wages war on the earth because he wants to hurt God so much. And it's interesting here, he turns against those he has wooed to himself at the end. Those who have not got the seal of God on their foreheads. He turns against. It's who he is. It's what he does. The word Abaddon also appears several times throughout the Old Testament, referring to hell itself. And then in this passage, there is this reference to the star. And that's why I wanted to tie in those passages from Isaiah and Ezekiel. Later on in, in, in uh, chapter 12 of Revelation, it says a third of the stars were flung to the earth. We know that Satan didn't go on his own. He didn't fall alone. But many other angels, demons as we know them. And they're depicted in Revelation as an army of destruction. Remember that man from the Gadarenes who was possessed by so many demons. No one, no one could subdue him. Not even the folk from the town, the, the strongest men from the town could not subdue him. Yet Jesus comes and just by his word of authority, he sets the man free. Jesus is the strong one. That army, Satan and his demons behind the most evil of things in our world, which we could list, but there's no need to. And principalities and powers behind the death cults that we see at large in our world right now. And so much of the evil, we know that the devil is behind it. We're given that clue, that glimpse, that the devil was a fallen angel. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, you have been cast down upon the earth. That's also why the devil and Satan sometimes is referred to as Lucifer. If you've ever heard that phrase, it's the Latin for morning star, Lucifer. 
And both Isaiah and Ezekiel in those passages give the impression that the devil was once a beautiful angel in heaven, a created spiritual being who served before his God. Some people have seen him as a worship leader in heaven. But we're told in those passages that he became proud. Notice that angels have free will. That God in his amazing creation gives free will even to the heavenly beings. He becomes proud, it says, on account of his beauty. And sought to make himself a rival to God. Did you pick up those, just those phrases that Isaiah uses uh, of the words of the enemy? I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself the most high. How arrogant. Sought to make himself a rival to God. And with rebellion and sin threatening heaven itself. And it cannot be. He was thrown down. Jesus says uh, at one point to his disciples when he sent them out on a mission in Luke chapter 10 verse 18. And the disciples come back all excited because of, and they say, even the demons submitted to us. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But as the disciples come back full of how the demons submitted to them, Jesus says to them, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I sometimes encounter people who are so into spiritual warfare, they're looking for trouble everywhere they go. They're looking for demons and they're looking for this. And I just want to say, hey, you're crazy. We have the authority to deal with it when it comes, but, you know, Jesus says, don't rejoice that you have authority over demons. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven itself. That's our joy. And John's incredible vision that it's so hard to understand at times. Yeah, but it's so important for us as a church. And there's a church at the time that John had that revelation. And God is on the throne. And the lamb who was slain has conquered. And he will make all things new. We see more of Satan as Jesus walks on this earth. Even when he's born, there is that attempt on his life in those early moments in Bethlehem. And then the arrogance of Satan once again as Jesus steps out into his public ministry after his baptism and, and he goes into the wilderness and we have that description of the temptations that Jesus faces. And the devil actually comes and he tempts Jesus. Because he sees that Jesus, the king of heaven, who he knows is the king of heaven, has come down in humanity. And Satan has never had a problem with a human being before. He, is in a, he has been able to tempt them and cause them to fall. Never had a problem and he tempts Jesus. And Jesus in his humanity 
Not in his divinity that just says, you know, get back in and, you know, go to the place I have assigned. In his humanity, quoting just scripture defeats the enemy. And then that interesting verse later on when Judas agrees to betray Jesus. You notice that before when you've read it and it says Satan entered him. The influence. As Jesus is arrested, trumped up charges, tortured, and then crucified. Satan's hatred unleashed upon the king of heaven. But Jesus gives his life willingly. And we know, because the cross and the resurrection, Jesus triumphs. Once and for all. And confirms Satan's total defeat. And as Jesus triumphs, the power of sin is broken. The power of death is broken. The power of hell is broken forever by Jesus. And salvation is available to all. To all who would receive him, to all who would believe in his name, Jesus gives the right to become children of God. Satan is not, as he would have us believe, a powerful rival to God. He is a broken, defeated enemy. Desperately clawing to keep his hold over people that he knows his days are numbered. And as we go through the rest of Revelation, if you've ever read through it, just the declaration of the triumph of Jesus. And when Jesus comes again, he will assign him and all his demons forever into that place. But he's still at large, isn't he? See evidence of his work all over the world. Still intent on bringing destruction and havoc. Hurting God as much as he can. Intent on taking as many with him as possible. Another question that was raised on the last Alpha course. So why doesn't God just deal with him right now? Why does we have to wait? And we're all going, yeah, that's a really good question. Because that will be the end. And it's not the right time yet for the end. For me, it was 30 years ago. I'm grateful Jesus didn't come 31 years ago. I'm grateful. He has many more to save. And so we live in that kind of in-between time, but we know as we've sung and as we've declared tonight, 
that our God reigns. And if you've read to the end of the book, we know he wins. And John reminds us in his gospel, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness cannot overcome it. And then in that passage from Revelation 12, John gives us that clue to the primary weapon in spiritual warfare is the blood of the Lamb. It's not shouting at demons or taking authority. It's being in the blood of the Lamb. Because at the name of Jesus, demons flee. Satan included. In the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus, we are sealed in him. Our names are written in heaven. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's why it's so important to speak out the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. There is power in speaking it out. And also not loving their lives more than Christ. Do you love your life more than Jesus? And as the Apostle Paul, when he talks to the Ephesian church, encourages us in spiritual warfare as believers to take our stand against the devil's schemes. He says, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world. Know your enemy, be prepared. Each one of us engages in spiritual warfare. The enemy hasn't been able to stop you being a follower of Jesus. He'll want to make you the most miserable follower of Jesus he can. And he will tempt and he will deceive and he will lie. And you need to take a stand against the devil's schemes. So that power of spiritual warfare is being in the blood of the Lamb, but also making that stand. Now every time we choose to go the way of Jesus, we take a stand. Every time we resist temptation, we make a stand. Every time we give sacrificially, we make a stand. Every time we go the extra mile and we step out in faith, we make a stand. Every time we worship with abandon, we make a stand against the devil's schemes. Every time we repent and forgive, we make a stand against the devil's schemes. And with the word of our testimony, others will come to know the releasing, transforming, redeeming power of Jesus. So in these in-between times, we continue to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Deliver us from evil. The encouraging word in Revelation is he is coming soon. Coming soon. And we pray with the whole of the church, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.